Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 8 and 16 through 18. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, They have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Well, we are continuing our sermon series through the Sermon on the Mount learning what it means to be disciples of Jesus and what it means to make disciples of Jesus. On Mother's Day, while we were making our way through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we listened to Jesus' words about anger. And on Father's Day this year, we listened to Jesus' words on hypocrisy. Make of that what you will. (laughs) We didn't plan that on purpose, in other words. But maybe I can begin with a little bit of an anecdote. We live in a culture that idolizes physical fitness. And, you know, so like in other times and in other places, in other cultures, uh, some cultures revere men with large bellies. It's a sign of happiness and prosperity and things like that. Our culture, however, has decided to revere instead the ideal of six-pack abs. And I read a little while ago about a guy who was not really into dieting. He was not really into planks or crunches or cardio. But he really wanted six-pack abs. So do you know what he did? He got a tattoo artist. (laughs) He got a tattoo artist to shade some abs right onto his belly, right? Which leads to a really helpful Father's Day lesson for some of us here, right? The lesson goes like this. If you want six-pack abs and you can't tone your belly, you can always tat your belly. Amen? 
There you go. <laughs> but here's, here's the thing. Here's why I bring this up. The thing is that skin deep, that surface level six pack, it won't fool anybody. It's good for a laugh, maybe. <laughs> maybe it will get some attention. Maybe the joke would end up being on you. But there's no reality underneath it, right? Tattooing six-pack abs onto your belly is a certain kind of surface-level hypocrisy. It's just for show. It's not for real. And in our passage for today, Jesus tells us that there is a similar danger or a similar kind of problem with religious hypocrisy. There's a similar problem with religion that is just for show and like a tattooed six-pack abs, it's just for show. It's just for attention, and maybe it will get some smiles, but at the end of the day, there's no reality underneath it, and Jesus is saying, our Father in heaven despises this kind of surface-level, skin-deep hypocrisy with no reality underneath. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we've heard Jesus call us into a lifestyle of radical righteousness. Righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, right? Jesus is calling us into a lifestyle that is noticeably different than the lives of other people around us. And yet, as Jesus is calling us to this lifestyle of radical righteousness, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the merciful. Give to those who ask. Love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. As Jesus is calling us into this lifestyle of radical righteousness, Jesus is quick to warn against the danger of pretend righteousness. The danger of righteousness that shows up on the surface only like tattooed six-pack abs. He warns against the danger of practicing righteousness only for show. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. You heard it a moment ago. Jesus says, Beware! Watch out for practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Jesus is warning against the danger of religious hypocrisy. Now here's a question for us to consider as we make our way back through some of these verses here. If we think about Jesus as something of a physician for our souls, how does Jesus diagnose religious hypocrisy? And beyond that, what prescription does he offer to deal with it? How does Jesus diagnose this problem of 
religious hypocrisy? How do we know when it's there? And what does Jesus, as a physician for our souls, what does he prescribe to do about it? Listen, if you would, we'll kind of look at how Jesus addresses this topic and pay attention to those two things. See if you can notice them as we're making our way through here for the next few minutes. The way that Jesus organizes this part of his sermon is he gives us a principle up front. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And then he gives three examples. Three examples of the kinds of arenas where religious hypocrisy might show up. One of those arenas where religious hypocrisy might show up is when you give to the poor. So in verse 2, Jesus goes right to that issue. Thus, when you give to the needy. Now, it's often pointed out that Jesus says to his disciples, not if you should give to the needy, but when you give to the needy. Why? Because everybody in Jesus' day, all good Jewish people listening to Jesus, everybody knows that giving to the poor is a good and right thing to do that God has commanded throughout the scriptures and that in this very sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has already commended to his people saying things like this, give to anyone who asks of you. So giving to the poor, giving to the needy is not a problem in itself. In fact, giving to the poor is the kind of thing that disciples of Jesus should be doing. But remember what Jesus is doing here as he calls us to a real righteousness, as he calls us into a new way of living, he also calls us to watch out for the danger of doing these things only to be seen by other people. And so, while giving to the poor is a good thing to do, giving to the poor in order to be noticed, notice what Jesus says about that. Verse 2, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised By others, truly I say to you, they have received, they have already received their rewards. So giving is good, but giving in order to be noticed, we have a word for that in my generation. So for people who are, you know, maybe between 35 and 45 years old, You might be familiar with like the one thing you never, ever wanted to be called when you were in middle school or high schooler. I think this was especially true where I grew up in Southern California, but I think it was a nationwide phenomenon. There were all kinds of mean names that people might call you and you could just laugh at it or shrug your shoulders or whatever. But let me tell you something. If you're about my generation, you never, ever wanted anybody to call you a poser. Can I get an amen? Some, some people just got like flashbacks. And I'm sorry if that was traumatizing for you, right? But the poser is somebody who dresses like a skater but can't skate. 
The poser is somebody who says words like dude and bro and radical and gnarly, but has never been on a surfboard in their life. The poser is somebody who wears basketball shorts 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and can't dribble with their left hands. And there were all kinds of words that you would never want to be called, but maybe above them all, if you're about my age and you grew up in the culture that I grew up in in America, you would never want to be called a poser. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, look, I'm calling you to live a certain kind of righteousness that involves giving to the poor, but I am not calling you to be a poser when it comes to generosity. I'm not calling you to be a hypocrite is the word that is actually used in Jesus's sermon. I think the 21st or the 20th century translation is poser, but but he uses the word hypocrite here in verse two. Don't sound a trumpet like the hypocrites do. A hypocrite in the ancient world, that word that is behind the, the English translation hypocrite is actually kind of the word for an actor. Somebody who dresses up for a part in a play. Somebody who's going to be involved in theater. And by the way, Jesus is not prohibiting theater and Jesus is not explicitly, on my understanding, opposed to people being involved in plays. But what he's saying is you understand what an actor does. They put on the clothes. Maybe they take on an accent. Maybe they say the lines so that everybody can hear, but it's not their true identity. It's not who they really are. It's not what they do 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's what they do for a special show every once in a while when the audience is watching and in anticipation of the audience's cheering. And Jesus goes to this word hypocrite and he says, when you give generously, which he's called us to do, he says, don't be a poser in your generosity. Don't just be an actor in your generosity. Don't just put on the show and do the generous stuff every once in a while when the audience is watching and when the audience is ready to applaud you for how generous you've been. Watch out. Beware, Jesus says. Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be, Jesus says, praised by them. See, there's this danger of moving from not giving to the poor toward giving to the poor but giving for the wrong reasons. Giving not to please our Father in heaven, but giving instead to gain praise from people for ourselves. This is a danger, Jesus says. Beware, watch out for that kind of thing. And then Jesus goes on with this example of generosity in verse 3 to say, but when you do give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus has used hyperbole, 
That is to say, exaggeration in order to get a point across throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Think of Jesus' teaching. If your right hand causes you to sin, just chop it off. It's an exaggerated statement to get a point across. In a similar way as he uses this right hand and left hand thing, I don't think we should use this passage as an excuse for maybe a husband not to tell his wife about financial dealings in their household. I don't think this is an excuse to say that we should never talk with one another in the church about generosity and giving. But what this is saying in kind of an exaggerated way for the point of effect is Jesus is saying, if you have to choose between giving in a way that gets praise for you or giving in a way that nobody will ever know about, choose the option to give in a way that nobody will ever know about. That's the first example that Jesus uses here. It's the example of where religious hypocrisy might show up. It might show up in how we give to the poor. There's another example of where religious hypocrisy might show up in this passage. It has to do with when you pray. And there's a large section of our passage today. And by the way, we're going to come back to the Lord's Prayer next week. We're not skipping it because we don't like it. We're pausing on it because we love it so much. You tracking with me? We love it so much it, it can't be locked in with everything else and we've got to take more time on it. So we'll come back to the Lord's Prayer next week. But here Jesus moves on in the same point that he's making. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And now he goes to this issue in verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the actors. You must not be like the hypocrites. You must not be like those posers out there. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go to your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard For their many words, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Jesus wants his disciples to be people whose lives are characterized by prayer. The scriptures teach us and invite us and call us to a lifestyle that is drenched and saturated in prayer. Prayer is not the problem. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will have more to say to teach us about prayer. But, but, as we move from not praying at all to the Father... In the direction of praying, there's a danger that we might get stuck in. It's the danger of praying like an actor. Praying like somebody who is using their prayers as a kind of performance opportunity. Using their prayers as just something they do once in a while. And something they do once in a while for a certain kind of applause. Now, I'm going to get a little more specific here. 
and recognize the fact that many of us have grown up around churches and we've heard different people praying over time. And maybe there's a tendency for some of us to say, oh, I know what it sounds like when people pray as an actor or a hypocrite. But here's the danger I want to point out. If we grew up in a certain kind of traditional church background, it's probably very easy to point the finger and say, I've heard those charismatic folks pray. They're the ones who pray like actors. They're all about the tone of voice, the inflection. It's just, you know, if you pray in the name of Jesus, that's one thing. But if you pray in the name of Jesus... That's another thing, isn't it, right? That's just acting, we might say, if we grew up in a traditional church background. On the other hand, if you drew up in kind of charismatic circles, you woke up when I said that about the name of Jesus because you're like, man, I haven't heard somebody pray in a while. The Father heard that one. Wow! And if you grew up in those kind of more charismatic circles, there might be a tendency to critique those who grew up in more traditional backgrounds for praying such kind of long, boring prayers, quoting Bible verse after Bible verse, recounting the whole history of Israel every time we want to ask for our daily bread, right? Why do we need so much Trinitarian theology every time we pray? Just ask for it already. And here's what I want to say. Instead of pointing the finger at other people from other Christian tribes, it's probably more helpful for us to assume that Jesus' sermon is speaking to me today. And it's got something to say to me about the way that I view prayer. And just as Jesus might be concerned for how brothers or sisters from another tradition pray... Jesus is also concerned for how I pray. And so for some of us here, there probably is a danger of the fact that we've learned to kind of modulate our voice in praying in such a way that other people really wake up and respond when we use that tone of voice. And we probably need to be careful because Jesus warns us against praying as the actors pray. And others of us may have grown up in circles where mom or dad or friends around us are really impressed when we use big theological terms in our prayers or when we recount so much Old Testament history in our praying. And we need to be warned that Jesus warns us against heaping up empty phrases. We need to be warned against praying as the actors do. All of us need to pay attention to this warning from Jesus because while Jesus does call us to be people whose lives are drenched and saturated with prayer, Jesus warns us in stark terms against the dangers of learning to pray the way that actors and posers and hypocrites would pray. Now that doesn't mean that we won't pray with passion. And that doesn't mean that we won't quote Bible verses or use our theological insights as we pray. 
In fact, I think that the most compelling moments of prayer in my own life have been those moments when theological truth lights up in passion and the result is a moment of crying out to God in profound and profoundly felt ways. I love it when I'm there. But Jesus asks us to consider, in fact, he challenges us with these words. Don't pray as the actors would pray. Don't pray as the posers would pray. E.M. Bounds, who is kind of famous for teaching about prayer in Christian circles, had a rule of thumb that is kind of helpful. He said something to this effect. He said, I've come to regard over time, or I've come to think over time, that prayers should be long in private and brief in public. (laughs) And we could say the same thing. Come to believe that prayers should be full of our deepest, most heartfelt emotions and passions in private. And they should communicate in winsome and connecting ways in public, right? Jesus is not against passion in prayer. He's not against truth in prayer. He's not against us spending hours or even days praying. Remember, Jesus' approach to prayer is one that he had to get away from other stuff to pray. He couldn't just pray while he was walking along the street with his friends and say, I've done my prayer thing for the day. Jesus is not opposed to time invested in prayer. He's not opposed to truth-filled prayers. He's not opposed to heartfelt prayers. But Jesus is opposed to hypocritical prayers. And we should take note. And therefore, Jesus says in a way that kind of echoes the wisdom of E.M. Bounds, He says, he says in verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is there with you when nobody else sees what's going on in secret. Go and pray your most deep and passionate prayers there when nobody else sees. This is Jesus' challenge for us. So, with giving, giving is good. Giving to the poor is good. But beware, because there's a danger of being a poser in the way you give. And therefore, instead of giving so that others see, give in secret. With praying, prayer is good. But there's a danger that prayer can become just a show. So go and put your heart into praying in secret where your heavenly Father will notice. But there's a third example that Jesus uses in verses 16 through 18. A third example of where religious hypocrisy might show up. It's when you fast. When you give to the poor. When you pray. When you fast. Verse 16. Now with the first couple, I think most of us as Christians understand, yes, we should give to the poor. Most of us as Christians understand, yes, we should pray. Some of us as Christians are like, are we actually supposed to fast? 
And so we need to pause just long enough to say that fasting is a good and right spiritual discipline. It's a good and right spiritual practice that is commended to us by the scriptures and that is assumed in the same way that generosity to the poor and prayer is assumed by Jesus for his disciples. When you fast, fasting is a good and right spiritual practice that many of us as Christians have too little experience with. And yet, before we go and dive maybe headlong into learning what it means to fast, we need to be warned right up front by Jesus there's a danger that can go with fasting. And you're starting probably to feel the rhythm of how this passage works. When you fast... Verse 16, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, like the actors, like the posers. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've already received their rewards. Now, I'm going to tell you that I don't consider myself to be any kind of expert in fasting. I fast a few times a year, which is not as often as the Pharisees fasted, by the way. The Pharisees practiced fasting more frequently than I do. I fast a few times a year, and I'm sharing that on purpose simply to say, I do believe that fasting is a good and right spiritual practice that can increase our appetite for God, that can fuel an appetite for prayer, that can drive us forward in crying out to God. It's a good thing to do, but I've seen what Jesus is talking about here. If if you're taking an afternoon to fast and you tell your friends from church, I'm fasting today, what will they all do? Oh, wow. You're pretty amazing. Good, wow! And I can see it all over your face. Your shoulders are all hunched down. You look like you're like, you know, dragging yourself around all the time. Now I see how godly and how holy you are. Jesus is moving us from not fasting at all, from not crying out to God, toward learning what it means to fast and to seek after God with all our hearts. But there's this danger that can go along with it. It's the danger of acting, the danger of posing, the danger of hypocrisy, the danger of fasting and using our fasting in such a way not to drive us closer to God, but to draw more praise and more admiration toward ourselves. Jesus says, don't fast like that, but verse 17 You're feeling the rhythm by now, right? You know exactly where he's going. When you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Well, let me kind of step back for a second from these three examples and let's return to those couple of categories that I threw out earlier. How does Jesus diagnose spiritual hypocrisy? 
spiritual pride, religious hypocrisy? What is it that makes it a problem? The diagnosis goes something like this. Many people do righteous looking things for wrong reasons of self-glory. Did you know it's possible to do good things for bad reasons? And just like tattooing abs onto our belly, when we do righteous looking things for the wrong reasons of getting glory for ourselves, there's no reality underneath it. And Jesus is saying, you're not fooling God. I mean, every once in a while we do fool other people into thinking highly of us, but not really. (laughs) And even in those cases when we dupe others into thinking more highly of us because of the outwardly right things that we're doing, even in those times Jesus tells us, fine, that's all the reward you will ever get from that. How's that going for you? All that fasting just so that people can think a little bit more highly of you for a few minutes? How's that working out, Jesus says? How's that going to leave you in the end? It's an interesting thing that critics and skeptics and those deconstructing And those walking away from churches often take objection to the apparent hypocrisy in the lives of Christians. Christians say that they care about other people, but it seems like they're more concerned with congratulating themselves for how much time they spend serving than they are about the well-being of those people they say that they're serving. Christians like to talk about how much they love worship, but it seems like they love the buzz of singing a whole lot more than they love the God they're singing to. Or think about churches. Churches can grow in size, in number, in budgets, in all kinds of other ways, but are they actually growing in their love for God and in their love for their neighbors around them? And critics and skeptics and deconstructors and those walking away from churches often look and say, it seems like this hypocrisy stuff is a really big deal. And here's one thing I want to point out from the Sermon on the Mount. Listen, if hypocrisy among disciples of Jesus seems to you like it's a really big deal, Jesus agrees with you. It is a really big deal. It is a really serious problem. Like all of the biblical prophets, Jesus stands up and addresses His followers and says, yes, I'm calling you to do something with your life and it's going to involve things like giving to those in need and it's going to involve things like prayer and fasting and spiritual exercises. But no, I am not calling you into a hypocritical kind of posing and acting. Why? Because... 
our Father in heaven despises religious hypocrisy and spiritual pride. He wants nothing to do with it. There is no reward. There is no well done from heaven. When we do the right things only externally, giving to the poor for the sake of getting applause from other religious folks around us, there is no reward from heaven for that, Jesus says. And so in a surprising moment, Jesus agrees with the critics and the skeptics and the deconstructors and those walking away. And Jesus says religious hypocrisy is a really big deal. And therefore, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you need to hear the voice of Jesus addressing us and speaking to us today, saying, I'm glad that you have begun this journey, but watch out. Watch out, because even among those who say they're following my teaching, it is all too easy to drift into acting. And I want to add for my part, as somebody who's been following Jesus for a while, this is one of those teachings of Jesus that kind of sinks in over time. For many of us, as we're beginning the journey of following Jesus, we're just like, yeah, right on. Forget that hypocrisy stuff. And then we get a few years down the road of following Jesus and we become a little bit more aware of our hearts and the complex motivations of our hearts and the desires of the flesh that still like the applause and approval of other people just enough that we can be tempted to do things or to drop hints or to say things on social media or to do our giving and our generosity and our lifestyle in such a way that other people say, wow. And for some of us, it won't begin to sink in until we've been following Jesus for several years, just as Jesus calls me to love my neighbor and to pray for those who persecute me, Jesus also calls me, he also calls me to reject the lifestyle of just acting. To reject the motivations that say, I'm going to do this so that others think better of me. He calls us with a sense of urgency to turn away from that kind of hypocritical lifestyle. He calls us to give up on seeking the praise of other people. Why? Because this is the essence of religious hypocrisy. Many people, in fact, let's be a little more honest. Many people in the church... Many people like us, many people do righteous looking things for wrong reasons of self-glory. You can show up in preparing for a small group. You can show up in the way we pray for somebody else when we're praying for them. It can show up in the way we leave the little comments on social media, been praying for you. And so on. It's not wrong. 
But here's the question. Why? Toward what end? Toward what goal are we praying for people? And toward what end are we reminding them that we're praying for them? Is it to build them up and to encourage them? To strengthen them and to help them run faster? Or is it simply so that they think more highly of us? Jesus challenges us to check our motivations. To check our motivations. Because this issue of religious hypocrisy may be more relevant than some of us would like to admit, even in the church. But what then is the prescription? Let's pay attention to how Jesus says it, and we'll kind of have to think about it for a minute. The prescription goes something like this in all three of the examples. Watch out for hypocrisy. That's don't do it just to be seen by others. That's the diagnosis. But then what's the prescription? The prescription goes something like this. Practice your righteousness when nobody notices. Knowing that your heavenly father will reward you. Amen. Practice your righteousness when nobody notices. Give in such a way that others don't even see what you're giving. Serve in other ways that others don't even see how you're serving, Jesus says. Pray. Pray with all your heart. Pray with all your mind. But do it in that secret place where others aren't overhearing all the time. Fast. But fast in such a way that it's not drawing attention to you and how spiritual you are. Fast in such a way that it's done in secret without others thinking more highly of you in the process. Practice your righteousness even when nobody notices. And some of us say, well, then what's the point? And Jesus says, that's the problem. Most of us are far more motivated by what others think of us than by the Father's approval. And what is the prescription that we may need in order to grow, not just in tattooed on, skin deep, surface level righteousness? What is the prescription that will help us live lives of fullness and integrity and real righteousness that actually honors God? The prescription is this, start practicing righteousness Even when nobody else notices. Give generously. Even when other people don't know about it. Give of your time generously. Even when very few people will know. Pray in secret. Fast without announcing it to everybody. But what will motivate us in that? Notice Jesus' motivation. It shows up over and over in this passage. In verse 4, it shows up in verse 6. It shows up in verse 8. It shows up again in verse 18 as if Jesus is trying to make a point of emphasis by repetition. And your Father who sees what is done in secret, He will reward you. Today is Father's Day. Father's Day is a happy day for some or many of us. 
Father's Day is a hard day for some or many of us. Maybe it's a hard day because Dad has now passed away. Maybe even recently. And that is a real grief. This is totally in passing. But we have the hope as Christians that our Lord will one day wipe every tear from your eyes. For some of us, we remember dads who were not there. For some of us, we remember dads who appeared to not care. Listen, none of us has a perfect picture from the dad we know on earth. None of us has a perfect picture of what fatherhood is supposed to be. But Jesus introduces us to a father who chases after us in love. Who seeks us out when we stray. Who sends His one and only kind of Son to suffer in our place when we were separated from Him so that we might be brought near into the family. Jesus introduces us to a Father who is so full of love that He delights not only to get us out of trouble, but to bring us into the family, and who delights not only to have us in the family, but to reward us generously by His grace and by His mercy. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 gives us this ancient creed. Anyone who would draw near to God must believe, number one, that He exists, and number two, that He rewards those who seek Him. How quickly we forget the ancient creed. Jesus introduces us to a Father whose heart is so full of love that He delights. And listen, because we have had imperfect pictures of fatherhood here on earth, we need to let Jesus' teaching sink in a little deeper than most of us really are willing to believe. Our Father in heaven delights to reward. Listen to this. Our heavenly Father. Not like just Dad 2.0. Like a a second chance dad, a little bit of an upgrade over the father you had here on earth. Maybe you had the best dad ever, as the t-shirt you gave him says, right? Maybe you had the best dad ever here on earth. We're not talking about best dad ever version 2.1. We're talking about a heavenly father. Category shift, difference, level up, totally different kind of stratosphere here. Your heavenly Father delights to reward, to reward. And listen, as long as we keep doubting that, and as long as we keep saying, you know, I'm not really sure that in His kindness and mercy... 
you know, here's what we do. We say, look, and this is, I'm talking about Christians here. I'm not even talking about the skeptics, right? But as Christians, we say, you know, like we do this over and over in our disbelief. We say, I know that God in love and mercy sent his son Jesus to die in my place, to bring me back into the family. But that's it. That's where his love ended. And it's up to me from here on out to get any joy that I need. And as long as we live in that kind of mindset, we're going to just keep running like addicts back to the praise of people. We're going to just keep running like addicts back to performing righteousness before others so that they like us, that they think highly of us. And so that through them thinking highly of us, we get that joy and that buzz that we're looking for. But Jesus introduces us to a heavenly father who loves us and who delights to reward us. And listen, the rewards of our heavenly father are of such greater extent and magnitude, Jesus is teaching. That when we learn that Jesus really has introduced us to a father who really is not stingy, but really is extravagant in his rewards, then we become content to live our lives for an audience of one. Then we become content to give generously even when nobody else knows about it. And it's not just because I have to, it's because I know my Father in Heaven is going to reward me so lavishly. And then we become content to spend not just the bare minimum amount of time saying a few little prayers in the morning, but that's when we begin to gain an appetite to spend more and more time crying out to Him in secret, even when others don't hear our most passionate or our most eloquent prayers. Even when our longest and best and most profound and most heartfelt prayers are in secret and nobody else knows about it, we're glad to do it. Why? Because we know that our Heavenly Father, He hears. And that's when we become excited toward even things like self-discipline and self-denial, saying, I'll give up food for a whole afternoon so that I can seek the Father's face a little more directly. I'll give up food for a whole day so that I can seek His face a little more directly today. That's when we begin to do that, not just as if it's a chore that we check off, but because why? Because our Father who sees in secrets abounds in such overwhelming generosity that we're glad. We're glad to release that money And give it up for the sake of the surpassing rewards we'll receive from Him. We're glad to give that time to Him and even to Him alone, to that audience of one. We're glad to give up even good and right and find things like food for a little while so that we can know Him a little more closely. And and here's the thing. How do we get there? How do we move in that direction? By knowing more and more deeply the Father that we meet through faith in Jesus Christ. Through knowing Him and His heart and what He really is like. That turns out in Jesus' view to be a better and more powerful motivator 
that will produce righteousness that is not just like the tattooed on surface level skin deep righteousness of the Pharisees. But when we begin to know a father who rewards and rewards generously and when we begin to live our lives as if we are performing for an audience of one. That's what draws us further and further. Now, how do we do that? Jesus taught his disciples in another time and in another place shortly before he gave his life as a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus says in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so perhaps there are some here today who feel like this teaching of Jesus is a heavy teaching. Man, I tried to take some steps and now you're telling me I tried to take some steps, but if my motives are not quite right, then that's not enough. How much is enough? Only the righteousness of Jesus Christ is truly enough to bring us into the presence of the Father. But that righteousness that we share by faith in Him, it kind of wells up within us. It plants a seed that begins to grow up and to transform the way we live, not just as surface level, skin deep, tattooed on righteousness, but righteousness from a new heart flowing out in a new life, all based in a new relationship with a Father who loves us. Loves us so much that He gave His own Son for us and loves us so much that He will reward us even for those acts of righteousness that nobody ever noticed. And through Jesus Christ, we meet that Father. And in union with Him, we have the joy of walking out that journey of a new kind of righteousness. A new kind of righteousness that is not just practicing our righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, but a kind of righteousness that delights to serve our Heavenly Father, knowing full well He, our Heavenly Father, who loves us and gave His Son for us, who who sent His Spirit to dwell within us, He will He will reward everything that we have done by faith in Jesus Christ. He will reward it even when nobody else notices. And so on this Father's Day, here's what Jesus is calling us to. It's good to give thanks to our dads if you have a chance to express gratefulness to your dad today. It's good to it's good for dads to receive gratefulness and to hear the appreciation of those we love and serve. But on this Father's Day, I hope that the words of Jesus will invite us into a singular focus. A singular focus that says no matter what else happens, I am so glad, so glad to be loved by Him. So glad to be loved by our Father in Heaven who will reward even what nobody else has taken notice of. At this time, I want to invite those who are going to serve us the elements of the Lord's Supper to come forward.